Hello and welcome to the What Manners Most podcast. I'm Thomas Farley, Mr. Manners. Thank you so much for tuning in. I've been grappling these past several weeks, as I know so many of you have, with trying to make any sense of a senseless killing, that of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And as I look at the peaceful demonstrations that are cropping up in cities and towns around the United States and around the globe, there's anger, there's sadness. And yet, underlying all of this, there is a sense of hope a hope for some real change that in 2020, it's unbelievable to me that in 2020, decades after the civil rights movement, that we still have so far to go. And yet at this flexion point, perhaps there's an opportunity for all of us to make true lasting change. And I firmly believe that the generation that is going to help lead us there is Generation Z. So this is the generation after the millennials. They are today's young, young people, teenagers. If we look back over even the last couple of years, we've got some shining examples of that. There's Malala. You remember her? She's the Pakistani woman who spoke at the United Nations on her 16th birthday about being shot by the Taliban. And you know what her crime was? Advocating and advancing the cause of education for girls and young women, which was outlawed by the Taliban. She got shot for that. She survived and became a wonderful advocate on the global stage as a result of her experiences and went on to win the Nobel Prize. I think about the young students at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, who had their school shot up by a lone gunman in February 2018, and how so many of those young students decided to use their voices as a platform for real change in their home state of Florida and beyond. I think about Greta Thunberg, who last September spoke at the United Nations, having traveled to the United States across the Atlantic on a vessel that was 100% clean energy powered. Can you imagine? All so that she could speak and speak with integrity about an issue of great importance to her, climate change. And as I consider these young people, and what they are doing to advance the causes that are so important to them. I've got another name to add to that list. Jalen Thompson, a young black man in O'Fallon, Missouri, who decided he was looking at what was going on, speaking to his friends about how they could contribute, what they could do in their own community. They organized a march in O'Fallon at which Jalen and his fellow organizers marched arm in arm with the local police chief. The turnout for this march, way beyond what they ever anticipated. And I think even more so, the impact of that march, well, well beyond what Jalen and his friends could ever have imagined. This is Generation Z. They are doing it, they are getting it done. They've got integrity, they've got heart, and they are helping bring us to a place that makes all of us as a globe a far better people. I'm so pleased and honored to have Jalen as my guest coming right up. And we are back. I am so pleased to welcome, he will be our youngest ever guest on What Manners Most by at least a decade or two or more. But I will tell you the wisdom you are about to hear from 17-year-old Jalen Thompson, I think will really blow you away. And I'm absolutely thrilled. He's in high demand for all the right reasons this month. 
Jalen Thompson. Welcome to What Matters Most. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Jalen, you have gone in the span of a couple of weeks from being a high school senior, part of the class of 2020, thinking about perhaps a graduation that was going to be different for you as for young graduating students across the United States and around the world because of the global pandemic, and factor that out of the equation, suddenly have taken on a whole new role as a voice of your generation and a voice for young men and women of color around the globe. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of how this all came together, your your march, because it came together in just a couple of days, as I understand. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of it. So basically, it was a Saturday night, the march. We planned it for the Monday that next week. So we were all kind of upset, heartbroken. We were just having trouble figuring out what we wanted to do to press the issue that has been brought back up by the George Floyd murder. And my friends and I, there were four of us, we were like, we should go to a protest or something. And what we actually ended up deciding on, it was one of my friends, Ryan Staples' idea. He was like, we should plan our own demonstration here in our city. So we were, of course, we were like, let's make sure it stays peaceful because that's a big thing right now is whether or not they're peaceful. And so for ours specifically, in our community, we have a good relationship with the police. So we got them involved and had them block off the roads and make sure everyone was safe. And the police chief here actually marched with us. And so it was supposed to be about 300 people we were hoping to get because, you know, we're just high school students. So we didn't think that that many people were actually going to show up. And it was kind of just supposed to be us kind of talking our way through things, just kind of an outlet. And halfway through Sunday, I was actually at work. My Facebook post that I had put out there to kind of promote it was screenshotted and put on a traffic scanner page, like on Facebook. And that got like thousands of comments and people were talking about it. And a lot of those comments were negative. And that's why I personally think that a lot of people came to show the support that they didn't see in those comments. Did it surprise you that there was even any kind of a remote negative reaction to what you planned as something that was very uplifting and positive? As sad as it is to say, no, we were kind of waiting for someone to say something because there had been people that have talked about it, and there always are, that talk about this issue as if it's a regional issue from city to city. And despite the fact that here in O'Fallon, we're not really on the forefront of seeing those issues with the police all the time, they're still there. And they're also still something that we as a community need to talk about. So you're in a town called O'Fallon, Missouri. As I understand, it's a population just under 90,000. And you're five, 600 miles away from Minneapolis. What would you say is the composition of O'Fallon? What are your feelings about the community in general? So I've been here since I was three. We moved here right before my brother was born. And the community is 90% white about. And so for most of my life, I've been surrounded by majority white people and I've gone to mostly white schools. And here, the topic of racism and Black Lives Matter is, interestingly enough, kind of more touchy than it is in another place where you might actually be having people talking about it hands on. Because a lot of people here don't want to see it they don't want to talk about it. They don't think it's a problem here. And again, I'm thankful for the opportunities that I have and that I've had because we live here. 
the school system that I go to is much better than certain school systems in other cities. And I think that's something that especially resonates with me is that I've seen what I think a school system should be like or what people should be treated like. And that's not the case everywhere. So for me, it's helped me to look around and see that there does need to be change. There needs to be change in multiple different places because there are cities like this. So we know we can have that, which is why we need to put forth as much effort as possible to change it in other places. Jalen, where do you think that disconnect is? You're holding up your community as perhaps not a perfect example of where we could be, but certainly a community where people of different races, even though it's largely white, as you've described, can live together in harmony and tranquility with a police force that's respectful. What do you think is different and and what can be exported from that model that you have there in O'Fallon, particularly to communities that are even more diverse where there are greater problems? What are some things that you think those communities where the issues exist, what are some of the things you think they might do? Especially with different communities like St. Louis, Ferguson, they're right down the road. It's kind of a big issue with just the communities themselves and how they're set up. I'm big right now on talking about property taxes and how our school system works because they're setting different kids up and different people in the community up for failure, basically. There are different places in this country where kids don't have the same hope for the future as I do because they're just not given that kind of hope. They don't see that because they aren't given those opportunities. They're not given those chances. So for any community like this, the kids are likely to be more respectful. They're likely to not get into trouble as much. It's just because we have so many other things to be doing. My school is full of extracurricular activities because we have the money for it. We're full of different things that we can do. And something that I think as a country we need to focus more on is just the fact that there are different school systems that don't have that ability. So it is like a big circle of police treating people incorrectly in certain areas and those kids not seeing hope and those kids acting out or adults acting out because they're trying to find literally any way to give their kids a life, whether that be by working every day or even illegal means. Like that's why some of that stuff exists is because it's built into our country. Now, you said something before that I find so interesting and so humble on your part. You said, we're just high school kids, right? Just high school students. And when I look at the developments, when we've seen real change happen over the past couple of years in particular, so we look at the high school shooting in Florida, we look at the environmental progress that's been made because of young, very even younger than you, advocates speaking out against the issues of climate change. What role do you think that high school students can play? And what was it about this particular point in time? There have been other incidents, of course, there have been other shootings. What was different for you and your friends that said, you know what, we've got to do something, we can make a difference. You never imagined what it's turned into, but what do you think that spark was for you? For me personally, this time, it's just because this issue affects me, of course, as a young black man, more so than other people, it is very, very frightening to me that I just graduated. I'm leaving for college in two months and someday that could be me. And I've said it time and time again, and it doesn't, it doesn't get any easier to say that someday that could happen to me. And 
that's something that shouldn't have to be a fear in my mind. It shouldn't have to be a fear in my parents' mind that that is something, that's a reality here, that I could act ever so slightly wrong or too black or something like that, Mm -hmm. and my life could end. You talked about how you got this tremendous response that you never imagined. You thought maybe you were going to have a few hundred and turned into a couple of thousand. Tell us a little bit about that day. What time did the march start? How far did you walk? And how did the day unfold? So earlier in the day, actually, we had a meeting with the police and they talked to us about what the plan was, where we were going to march to. We got there early so that we could meet people and talk to people and thank them for coming out. And so from 6 to 6.30, we kind of talked to everyone there. And then from 6.30 to 6.45, it was like, oh, there are too many people showing up. We can't talk to everyone. This is getting, this is getting pretty big now. So for those next 15 minutes, we were like, I guess we should probably just start getting people ready to go. And then we got ready and we started marching. And we marched from our high school to the police station. I, I want to say it's at the most a mile. And we went down, we stopped in front of the police station. The four of us all said some stuff. We all talked, we all spoke. And then we marched back and it went so well because there were people assuming that it was going to turn out poorly. Because as you can see, a lot of people have the misconception now that all of these protests are turning violent, even though the majority of them aren't. What was happening on the sidelines as you were marching? Were people streaming in and joining you? Were people cheering you on? What was what was happening during the march from those who were not marching? You did have people that were sitting on the side talking and watching. And that was something that was cool to me that even if you didn't participate, just the fact that you showed up to watch means that you're interested in the conversation. You're taking, you're taking it in, thinking about it. And as we marched, sure enough, more people got there as the hour that we had set up to plan for the march went on. And that was just kind of exciting to me that there were that many people, like I could turn around at the end of the street and I couldn't see the end of the sea of people. That that many people in the town like this, where oftentimes it's said that we shouldn't be having this conversation would show up for something like this. Could we talk a little bit about your family background and also about your schooling? You come across so well-grounded and so thoughtful and mature beyond your years to what do you owe that poise and the eloquence that you have and the passion that you have for this issue? And I'm sure many others as well. Where does, where does that come from? My parents have always been very, very, even when it's to my dismay, nice and polite to everyone that they've come across. And they always talk to me about being polite whenever you can and talking to everyone and just kind of carrying yourself in a manner that's going to get you far in life. And between them and actually my music passion, that kind of made me more confident. It's given me the ability to stand in front of a bunch of people and do whatever it is that I'm doing. Speaking, of course, is a new thing for me to do in front of people, but it's been very, very helpful for me just to have my parents who, again, brought me here just so that I could have a a better chance at doing what I wanted to do in life. In terms of role models, did you have either from your parents or other family members, family friends, an example of those who perhaps marched against the injustices that we've seen in previous generations? So from the 60s or the 70s and, and beyond, any role models that you could look to in that sense? Actually, this is a story that I was told after the march happened. My, my Nana, she'll get mad at me if I called her anything other than that. <laughs> um, she told me that 
when she was younger, they actually um, snuck out to go to a march and they like handed out flyers and stuff like that and helped out in whatever way they could. And that story kind of resonates with me again, because I didn't tell my parents about this beforehand because it wasn't supposed to be a big deal. But it's just the fact that there are young people in my generation and even past generations that care about the country so much and about these issues so much that they would do things like that and get in trouble or risk being told not to do certain things and that kids are doing it still now just to make sure that their future is still intact. So you've been on the Today Show and that was a marvelous experience. I know I mentioned I saw you on Lawrence O'Donnell's show, The Last Word. And interestingly, I thought, okay, I need to contact Jalen. I don't know how to contact him, but I'm guessing Twitter. So I went over to Twitter and and I don't know if you have had this experience, but I was watching your Twitter follower count while you were on that broadcast in real time. And it was like a churning casino machine as the numbers were going up and up and up as people nationwide and around the globe were were watching your remarks. What has the social media engagement been like for you? I'm hoping it's been mostly positive. How has it been for an otherwise beforehand, uh, an anonymous teenager from Missouri suddenly becoming a visible spokesperson for change and a symbol of the positive power of change and, and the wonderful message? What has that been like for you and what has it been like on social media? It's definitely been overwhelmingly positive. People have been so, so nice to me about it and told me so many things that that this is helping them to understand that they're looking to me as an inspiration. And it's overwhelming to say the least, but I could not be more thankful for gaining such a platform. Like you said, it was, it was very, very fast. When I got done with the interview, my dad looked over at me. He was sitting on the couch and he was like, uh, you have 2000 followers on Twitter. And before the interview, of course, I had like 400 just friends that followed me on Twitter. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. So I feel privileged to be able to have that kind of platform all of a sudden for people to be able to see my tweets and see what I'm talking about and be engaged and have someone, especially locally for people around here, there often isn't someone that they can look to for guidance on it and whether I can help them find guidance from someone else who's more educated than myself, because I'm definitely still learning things or that I can help them to understand this issue so that we can all work together and overcome it is, it's just a blessing. How do you take this platform that you've built? Again, you weren't planning on it necessarily becoming what it has become. How do you take this and build out from it? Have you had any social media interactions where people are interested in partnering with you and your friends on ways to expand and, and grow this movement, especially for people who are your, your age, just graduating from high school. Give us a, a, a window into what we might be seeing in the coming weeks and months based on some of the engagements you've had because of this new platform. I definitely have had people reach out to me. I've helped out with a few of the other protests that have been planned. But for me, and I've said this before, it's a long game. This is going to be a very long hard battle to fight as far as getting these kinds of reforms or changing things that we need changed or seeing especially the societal change to everything that's happening here. And to me, it's important that we take our time. Burnout is definitely a thing for people and young activists. My friends have reminded me of that time and time again. They're like, 
take a break if you need to. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't do this and don't do this too much. And I'm making sure that I take a step back every once in a while and plan and strategize accordingly because this is going to be something that we're going to have to talk about for a long time. I'm going to be voting in November. I'll be 18 in August. That's a big step is to start voting at every chance that we have so that our voices can be heard. It's important to me that we start celebrating things like Juneteenth coming up. I know a lot of people don't really know that Juneteenth even exists, but it's something that we should all be talking about because it's pushing conversation forward for one, to educate everyone on Black history like it's history history because it is, and two, start acknowledging things more often. February is Black History Month, but hopefully we don't need Black History Month sooner rather than later because it should be worked into everyday education. Jalen, since you've brought up Juneteenth, would you care to share with the listeners a little bit of of what you've learned, perhaps even recently, or what you knew of Juneteenth prior? Juneteenth is a celebration of freedom for African-American people because the Emancipation Proclamation freed half of the slaves. And at the end of the Civil War, all of the slaves were freed finally. And that's kind of what it's celebrating is that they were free. But again, there's so much more to go in this fight for equality. And June 19th, of course, is the day that that happened. So it's just a fitting kind of 4th of July-esque event where it's kind of a celebration of freedom, but it's more focused towards recognizing that there's still a ways to go. It's not all positive things that we have here. It's kind of saying we're all in this together, watching this grow and watching this issue and all of these things fit together. You, you mentioned that this is a long game and that change doesn't happen overnight. I know for a lot of people, and I would be one of them, the change hasn't happened fast enough. When you think about all the different movements that have happened throughout the 20th century and then into the 21st century, you wonder how many people must be killed and how many people must endure the, the oppression before there's true change. We certainly have seen from Congress this week, from the entertainment industry this week, uh, some some serious movement towards change, at least the desire to make some change. What are your feelings about some of the changes that seem to be in the wings that this movement has helped foster? I'm definitely excited just to see how it goes. Again, Minneapolis saying that they're going to kind of dissolve their police system as it is and work towards a new, different, less all-encompassing public protection system. I think that I'm excited to see how that goes because if it works, then other cities can follow suit. Other places can commit to that same level of change because the bottom line is that what we have right now isn't working for certain people. It may work for people in communities like mine, but it doesn't work for people in inner cities. It doesn't work for people who look like me that live in those cities and that needs to change. So for me, I'm big on listening to at least not necessarily always agreeing with, but listen to the debates about defunding the police because the fact that we put so much money into our police system and not our education system comparatively is worrisome to me. It's important to me that those things need to be balanced, just like our government system is supposed to be. There's supposed to be checks and balances. And right now, I think that those are and have been for a long time out of whack. They're not working the way they need to be. So something needs to change. And I think moderate changes at first are acceptable. People are kind of worried right now that 
like the democratic reform bill that they are proposing. Some people are saying it's not enough. But for me personally, I think just accepting whatever they're willing to give us at first, seeing how it goes, and then voicing our opinions again is a better chance. Any change right now is a small win in our long, long fight towards getting things done. I guess the message there is better incremental change rather than getting nothing at all get the incremental change and then immediately start working on the next set of changes and and build from there. Mm-hmm, definitely. Now you seem to have, and I don't know anything about what you were studying in high school other than the essentials that all high school students study. You seem to have a real keen interest in civics and history. I'm wondering, are those passions of yours and what do you hope to be studying when you go off to college? My interest in civics or politics come from my government teacher, who is the only black teacher I've ever had going from first grade all the way up to my senior year. And he taught us that to be able to change certain things, you have to know what you're talking about. You have to stay on top of things because there's a lot of discourse in our country right now, especially over the last four years. And knowing what you're talking about and researching and educating yourself on all types of things is the best way for any of us to stop arguing so much and start to work towards change and work towards getting progress made. So when you go off to college, and I don't know if you know yet whether you'll actually be there in person in the fall semester. I know so many college students, really, that's still up in the air, whether they'll actually be on campus or studying virtually. But do you have any thoughts about what you might like to major in? And has any of that changed as a result of this experience? So I'll be majoring in music education. That was the plan before, and that's not going to change only because I think if I'm able to incite the same passion for something that my directors and my teachers have incited in me, I'll be able to help those kids to look for future, look for change, and look look ahead to hope. I'm considering a minor in either political science or journalism of some sort. I'm not sure yet, but We'll see, just because I'm definitely going to stay active and be in the fight for social justice like we have started already. We're not letting you get away that easy, right? You're going to be out there. I have a feeling, hopefully, inspiring others and continuing to use your voice for good as as you've done uh, this past month. Are you planning on going to any marches this summer? I was hoping to go in the last week or so because there have been so many more in my area now, but of interviews and work. I haven't gotten to go back to one since then. So I'm still at, I'm still at one, but hopefully I will definitely be out there and fighting for whatever change I can get. You, you are so passionate as you've shared about music. I don't know what instrument you play. I'm a percussionist. What do you think it is about the power of music to bring us together? How can music play a role? It's something that for me has been helpful in keeping me grounded, keeping me happy. When I'm in a tough spot, I play music. When I'm in a tough situation, I listen to music. And there are also so many people who through music have found their community and their audience and use that audience to speak to change, to not only be musicians, but be active in the fight for change and justice bringing things full circle back to that march. I want to think about two types of people that you'd potentially like to reach. Number one, I'd like you to think about how do you reach and what would you say to that individual who's on the absolute opposite end of this and 
who finds all these demonstrations upsetting and they find the demonstrations themselves racist. They don't like the, the slogan, Black Lives Matter. How do you reach that individual and help change their mind and, and bring them around a little bit? That's, that's the first individual. And then I've got a second person. I want to see how you would reach that person. For me personally, because I've had multiple conversations with people who feel that way recently, it's not always easy to do it in a one conversation kind of thing. I've had people say, maybe I see where you're coming from now a little bit more. I think it's important for those people talking to them to educate yourself on how the other side feels. And it's okay to not necessarily see everything the same way that I see, but I need those people to understand that none of us are like making this up. No one is, no one is going against you. It's a matter of how we feel where there are people in this country that have for a long, long time felt unprotected, unsafe, and they, they just aren't comfortable in their own skin. That's how, that's the best way to explain it is that they don't feel comfortable in certain places or anywhere in their own skin. And that is something that no one should ever have to deal with. So at the very least, I would like those people to try and understand that that pain is something that we carry around with us. And that's why we're having this conversation, because we definitely would rather not have to. Do you think this is a conversation that your own children or their children will be having? Will that conversation be different? I think in certain ways, at least my children will have to. I, I definitely think we'll have to have that conversation. Years and years ago, it was definitely worse than it is now. My parents aren't telling me not to go talk to the white boys at school. We're together. We can talk to them. It's not like that. So definitely, I think the conversation is slowly but surely changing. Hopefully, when I have my kids, they will have a different conversation. It'll be slightly better and slightly closer to the conversation that hopefully one day won't exist. And for someone who looks like you, but doesn't feel the way you do, who feels hopeless, who feels this is never going to change, and they feel like they just can't possibly do anything to change the system. What advice would you give to them? I, I understand that feeling of hopelessness, of looking at everything as, as it is now and seeing that it's been this way for a long time. So it's, it's a hard system, of course, to dismantle because we've been talking about it in our communities forever, in the Black community, in Black Lives Matter has been a thing. Since 2014, we've seen a more prevalent Black Lives Matter conversation, and we still haven't seen much change. So for those people, I just need them to understand that that feeling of hopelessness is completely a product of what we're talking about. It's not a product of them. It's not because they feel a certain way about themselves truly. That hopelessness comes directly from the system that we're trying to change. And now that there's a new feeling about this conversation where the protests aren't black people protesting for their rights. There are so many other people out there now. There are so many white people and so many different people from different walks of life out there hoping and trying to get this change to happen for the black community. And that is something that I think is most important is that if you felt hopeless before, I think it was because no one was listening. There were people that were ignoring it. Now, if you feel hopeless, it's from that same thing, but it's starting to change. There are people who were the ones ignoring you that are giving us attention. They're noticing it and they're seeing that something has to change. 
And I think that image of you, which is such a powerful image, but the image of you walking arm in arm with the local police chief is such powerful, resonant proof of that point that you're just making. How did that moment arise? Was that just something that was completely spontaneous? Did it surprise you? Did it surprise you that it got the attention it did? So the day of actually, he talked to us, he was like, we'll see how things go. Because of course there was so much negativity going into that night that he was like, if the feeling is right, if the people aren't getting rowdy, if everything is going as we want it to go, I might even march with you guys because we want it to be clear that we understand and we support your cause. We see what you're coming from. We see what you're saying. And we agree that no one should ever be treated the way that Derek Chauvin treated George Floyd. So it wasn't necessarily completely spontaneous, but I definitely was surprised with the level of attention that it got. It was a beautiful moment when I consider all of the images that this sea change that we're going through right now are encapsulized in. I think that one is is definitely going to be towards the top of the list. Jalen, I want to thank you for taking the time. And I know you are in high demand for media interviews, and not to mention the fact that you've got a summer job and college to be thinking about and responsibilities at home. But I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And I know that my listeners, when they hear your words, which are so eloquent and so powerful, I really feel like you can be an essential change agent at this time, and all the while practicing such wonderful manners, which is as important to me also. So congratulations on all of that and, and keep up the good work. For those who want to follow you, follow your work, be further inspired by you, what are the best ways for them to connect with you and to follow you? My Twitter is Jalen underscore is underscore me. And Jalen is spelled J-A-L-E-N. Super. And I'll put that in the show notes for the podcast as well, so that anybody didn't catch that, you'll be able to just copy paste that and you can make sure you follow Jalen, whose who's insights on Twitter are just as insightful and impactful as they are in a conversation such as this. So Jalen, thank you again. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be doing it all right now. It's absolutely wonderful. So thank you for having me. I'll be back with some closing thoughts coming right up. In the meantime, if you haven't yet given us a rating or a review on your podcast platform, please do so. This is a great way for us to know what you're enjoying, what you'd like to see more of. During that conversation with Jalen, I could not help but be reminded of that famed painting by an artist whose name you probably would not recognize, Archibald Willard. He painted a portrait called The Spirit of 76. You know the work. It's three men, two drummers, one a piper, walking through a gruesome, grisly-looking battlefield during the American Revolution. This painting was done to commemorate the centennial of the beginning of the American Revolution. And as I heard Jalen speak about the fact that he's a percussionist, Somehow the image of him and his friends walking through a field, war-torn, sad, grim, and yet filled with hope and continuing that drumbeat of progress, that all-important drumbeat of progress, came to my mind. And I think after having heard his thoughtful observations on everything that we've been through. And as we look to change, as we look to heal, as we look to reform, I think 
words such as Jalen's are going to be essential in getting us there. Thank you so much for listening. This was a, a longer episode than normal, and I hope you'll agree we felt it was necessary. We'll also be posting the entire interview on YouTube. So if you have more interest in not only hearing Jalen's words, but also seeing him as, as he and I were conducting that interview, it would be my pleasure for you to check that out on YouTube. And that link will be in the show notes. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening, for being a part of this process, and for joining me as we explore, discover, and distill what matters most. Matters most.